0: Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Movies We Dig. Today, we're debuting a new recurring segment we're tentatively titling Extremely Strained and Incredibly Forced. It's an exercise in what we call classical reception, where we search for connections between the ancient and modern worlds, or more often, imagine some into existence. And joining us today is a very special guest to pitch our very first reception, three-peat returning guest, uh, and my advisor, Dr. Ayelet Heimson-Lushka. Welcome, Ayelet.
1: Woo! (laughs) Hi, as your advisor, Colin, this is exactly what I hoped you would be.
0: <laughs> I've really come up in the world, right? Uh, you
1: you really have. You are the the pride and joy of my advising career. <laughs>
0: beautiful. <laughs> well, we have that on record. Um, so I didn't want to spoil it out of the get-go, but I think that we need to be considering the coconut. Yes.
1: Well, <laughs> funny you should say, in fact, because as I was contemplating my my pitch, it occurred to me that, I, in fact, we shouldn't think of the great cinematic masterpiece that is Moana as, as in fact a reception of anything because it is its own, you know, mythological tradition. Um, and so it would be imperializing and colonializing and in general poor tath- taste to kind of see Moana as a reception of, uh, of of anything, much less the Aeneid. But then I also thought that the Aeneid is in fact an imperializing, colonializing text and so it would be very much on brand for it to kind of <laughs> reach from the shadows of the white man past and and colonize Disney. But so in that spirit, I, I will confess that my my ma- my main sort of pitch is boats mm-hmm. and um, sort of voyages of discovery and specifically the one where you try to save your people by taking them somewhere else with a father figure of incomplete, Dedication to said voyage <laughs> and divine interruptions slash helpful um, attempts at getting out of the way. So that's my pitch.
0: You had me at boats. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, I have I have a question. I guess to to start off on this because I I feel like if we're arguing Moana as an Aeneas figure, why why can we? Well, okay, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. So, I feel like the original like mission that she has is just to like save her people by like making her island not be falling apart. Right. So, I feel like originally there is no like traveling of the people. Like I feel like that becomes sort of part of her storyline later on. And like they used to do this voyaging, but that's not the immediate answer to the problem. So then why is this an Aeneas figure and not, like, an Odysseus figure trying to get home?
1: See, the Odysseus is just cheap and dirty, I feel.
0: Oh! <laughs> Everything is always Odysseus. I yeah. mean, Aeneas <laughs> is an Odysseus figure, right? Like, right.
1: A- Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, in the end, there is a, right, a, a voyaging yes. of, yes. of the people. Mm-hmm. the Somewhat reluctant and inexplicable, right, voyaging. Because if she has... Made her island not fall apart. Then why do they need to voyage? But leaving that aside, um, (laughs) yes, I feel like that was
2: just like the thorny like question that I could get in there.
0: Just, just you're like that committee member or like that person in the panel. I'm
2: I'm feeling sassy today.
1: (laughs) Reader number two, make this a completely different thing.
0: (laughs) And and maybe just so like maybe um, for listeners' sort of benefit, just a little bit of context. So. We're talking about the, the Aeneas of the Aeneid fame, right? Or of, of basically a story by Roman poet Virgil of a guy who flees the destruction of one city, Troy, to go found another city that will be Rome. It's not Rome yet. And trials and tribulations ensue, some of them on the ocean, some of them in Tevetra. There are parallels. of There is an underworld journey, right? Where the hero, which is not unique to, I you know, in many mythological corpuses, there's a I part where the hero goes. I have more questions about
2: this, too. <laughs>
0: Um, like you said, there are gods who intervene, including Neptune and Hera and, and Jupiter and Venus, and they sort of get involved. And then the notion of finding homes, you know, outside and across the ocean broadly. I don't know. Christy, you have any?
3: So admittedly, I'm not as familiar with the Aeneid, but we've been talking about it a lot in terms of this colonizing aspect, especially, and... um, Strangely enough, we're bringing this question of the idea of home and identity and traveling to, like, leaving one home for another. So I'm kind of curious how you see that connecting here with yes. Explain to me the aspect of home and the need to travel to have a home as, like, how does Moana connect to that and how does that compare to the need itself?
1: Well... I'm starting to feel like I'm taking my qualifying exams, which is not upsetting. I know.
0: I was like, this is <laughs> wonderful. She's on the other foot now. Um but-
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think I'm enjoying this. Um but,
0: <laughs> uh, Carl, where's, my, where's my manager? Get him, get yeah, it, I need to in.
1: Uh, I need to speak to my agent. This interview um, is over. But no, but the so the dark secret of the Aeneid obviously is that home is um are we is this a sweary podcast? I yeah, you can. I remember so yeah so home is a is a big pile of right croc um this is not my normal swearing by the way I can swear better than this um but you know Aeneas is like oh we're going home but he's 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 never been to Italy he doesn't know anything about it it's not home in any meaningful sense so yeah it's a it's a constructed made up idea and they have to stretch really hard to kind of make it home there's like this weird prophecy about how you know, the true land of the the sons of Dardanus is like some place mm-hmm. in the west. Italy being west of <laughs> Troy. Right. Um, right? They they plumped. And forward. they keep
0: finding, they keep landing on places. And like, I use a meme when I teach the the Aeneid in my mythology class where it's like the guy with the pit, with the butterfly and he's like, is this Italy? And it's like everywhere that's not Italy. and Because they, they land a place and they're like, maybe this yeah. is Italy. And then it, for whatever reason, turns yeah. out not today.
1: Yeah. So like the concept of home is not really like it's more of a finding a place that we can stay for a while and not have it suffer some massive ecological disaster. Disaster. Exactly.
2: I think my, my perception of that is is also like home is the friends we made along it's, the it's, way. It's, a, it's like Asgard, it's a
0: people, not it's a place. Asgard,
2: yeah, it's a people, not a place.
0: To, to quote a podcast I listen to, Asgard is very much a place.
2: but like yeah it's it's like the the, this anywhere that is safe and like productive for this group of people i feel like can be called home which i think in itself is a really like beautiful theme and i think i really like that about moana which is like such an emotional and beautiful movie but it has this very family centered i guess love in it and i i like i i get that like, mm-hmm. as a tie in to the Aeneid, as like, these are our people that we need to take care of.
0: Yeah, and I guess maybe that kind of is like maybe the first sort of theme I mentioned of the, of the role of like the father figure who presides over. So, like, in the Aeneid, we have Anchises, who's Aeneas' dad and is kind as a prophet of, in, in uh, what's the word, like he's uh, unreliable exactitude.
1: <laughs> as I, in he, he always, he's always wrong.
0: Yes. The scoreboard is against Anchises as a prophet. Um, but he's kind of there. And then where in Moana, we have um, Tui, played by Timur Morrison, who's kind of Moana's. And those, those are, well, there's Tui, who's the one who wants to keep people from leaving the island to sort of keep everyone safe because ships stopped coming back and it became the world became more and more dangerous because of the sort of ecological imbalance of Tikka. But then balancing that out is Rachel House's Tala, who's the, the grandmother you know, to, to Tui's father, who's the one kind of encouraging Moana to to go on the journey. And so, yeah, I don't know. Ila, where do you see? How do you see, like, the sort of Enkises, Tala, Tui triangulation?
1: I mean, Enkises is lovely, but just always wrong, right? He's made one good decision, which was to get it on with Venus when he had the opportunity, and pretty much ever since, he's been useless. A bit like, you know, like like Prince Philip, right? He's just there. (laughs) Um, But you know he's he's well intentioned and he he really wants to help he's just he's just completely wrong about the situation and and the solution and you know you can see that with with Chewie, right moana keeps saying well let's go beyond the reef and he's like let's not <laughs> and clearly the correct answer is to you know go beyond the reef so and, and even grandma tala you know she's she's very much like You have to listen to the voice inside, but it's not like she says, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: what you need to do is go on this voyage, right? So so Moana is kind of dealing with, you know, older figures who don't give her quite all the the information that that she needs or wants. And so she has to go out and find it on its own because, right, Moana is also a teenager, Bildungsroman, where she kind of sets off on her own journey. So... You said incredibly forced, so I'm like... I'm no, yeah, strain, I'm doubling, strain, as much as,
0: strain as much as you need.
1: Doubling down. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, the reason the Aeneid works is like, right, the the, the other dirty secret about the Aeneid is that the, everything can be the Aeneid, right? It's mm-hmm. a flexible story that, like, The Hobbit...
0: Watership Down.
1: Watership Down. Yeah. yeah. That's, my, that's my Aeneid. Game of Thrones, everywhere. Mm-hmm. When, wherever you have a protagonist in search of a better life... There, <laughs> there <is laughs> Charlie in the Chocolate
0: Factory.
2: <laughs> exactly. Oh my God! <laughs> it's what's, okay.
0: what's the what's it's the joke where it's, it's just turtles all the way down, right? It's just yeah. Aeneids all the way down.
2: Yeah, so, it really is. Oh my God! Yeah. I actually really like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory as the Aeneid That makes a scary amount of sense to me. Um, <laughs> but I'm getting off topic. <laughs>
0: okay. it, the, the mutual <laughs> hatred for children.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I have some underworld questions, because yes. I feel like that is such a, like a, a staple of the epic, right? Like we we always have um, a journey to the underworld for some reason. And the, I would say the journey to the underworld here is when they go to the realm of monsters to retrieve uh, Maui's hook. Right. Uh, which then they like literally descend into like a cavern. They like go to a place and they do a specific like ritual, which Aeneas has to do, goes to a specific place, does a specific ritual, descends to the underworld. But I think what like happens in the underworld feels different. So they like retrieve a magical item from the underworld in Moana. But I also feel like there's very much like when her grandmother's ghost comes to visit her has like an underworld feeling to it to me yeah. um, because it's like sort of gaining that knowledge even though we're not still in the realm of monsters it still has that speaking to someone who is dead um, and sort
1: of gaining knowledge and encouragement Right. so there's the pretentious answer and then there's the like less pretentious answer which which yeah. one do you want first?
0: <laughs> I like to lead with pretension this yeah, please lead style. with <laughs> pretension
1: please <laughs> so Lucan one of the earliest successors of, mm-hmm. of Virgil, right? His, his shtick is to take the Aeneid and turn it on its head. So if the Aeneid is a poem of like national building, then Lucan writes all about national self-destruction. So appropriately, um, when he gets to his underworld scene, instead of sending his protagonist to the underworld, he has one of his many protagonists resurrect a corpse. And the corpse is like, tells them all sorts of prognostications of doom. So on the extreme end of pretension, you can say that Moana is in fact a window <laughs> a window illusion <laughs> to to two, right, of the foundational epic um, right. yeah. However, if you don't want to get debarred from the SES, <laughs> um, I mean, at this point, you kind of have to ask, you know, what what reception is and where you kind of draw the line between reception and the sort of fervid imagination of the, the mm-hmm. reader. Now I'm, I think pretty extreme on this and, and I say where you find reception is reception, right? This is Martindale's famous dictum that reception is, uh, or meaning is constructed at the point of reception. And likewise, reception is constructed at the point where you make meaning. So if you see something reception-y in something, then, there you are. And it doesn't need to be one-on-one and it doesn't need to be acknowledged and it doesn't need to be sort of checking off. It's not like, you know, in Indo-European linguistics, they say that if uh, if if you can get three branches of inheritance, then there's a common ancestor. But we don't do that with reception studies, right? It's not like you need three checks box and then like- Check all the boxes. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you
0: don't need to find like a genealogical link or something.
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs> so- if you build it, then then then, then it is built, right? Yeah. The other side of this is kind of what some people have called philological fundamentalism, which is very much like it needs to like acknowledge Virgil directly. The scenes have to be like in a certain order and follow certain like plot mm-hmm. developments and well, that seems boring. Them, right, and things like that. So. You know i think if you start thinking about reception as an exercise that is grounded in the the reader right Mm -hmm. then a you're more honest to the practice that actually happens right which is we read stuff and then we have ideas and then we see if they work out but also it means that you can sort of connect more text and do kind of more interesting things and you know, there's no reception police, right? It's not like someone's gonna come along and be like, "No, Moana not not needed." Well, we I mean, might at the
0: end of this. <laughs> we should have a, like we have a segment where like I play like police sirens or like the reception police are here. You're being <laughs> carted away. Yeah, the, the, that speaker—they're now in jail.
1: <laughs> so, so in some sense, instead of being like, "Well, you know, is this that? How does this match onto that?" It's kind of a more interesting exercise to ask, okay, but so what, right? So like, what do we get out of reading Moana as the Aeneid or what do we get out of reading the Aeneid as a parallel to uh, a kind of a myth, a voyaging myth that is grounded in a different time and a different place? Or, you know, what does Disney have to do with all of it? So there's there's lots of threads that you can pull and which ones you pull is k- kind of depends on what you think about what reception is and how it works. So, like I said, I'm very loosey-goosey. I'm like, everything can be the Aeneid. This podcast can be the Aeneid. I just need to think about how. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, I don't know, maybe Colin is like Aeneas and like two of you are Serastus and Sergestus and I'm like Anchises or <laughs> something. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> we, can, we can work We can work with this. We can massage the Aeneid. <laughs> um, so, Yeah, I don't know, does that?
2: I love that answer, thank you. Yeah,
3: well, and it it makes me think back to, um, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda is heavily involved in Moana and a lot of his storytelling aspects comes from his background of displacement, but still belonging and finding communities of belonging, which seems to be a theme we see in the Aeneid as well. So do you think those parallels come from possibly Lin-Manuel's experience of displacement and finding a home or um, are the stories themselves being ways to frame that experience and understand it?
1: I mean, I think there's a sense in which you can boil almost any universal experience into an archetype, right? What do displaced people do? They try to find a place when they are not displaced. And then whether that is successful or unsuccessful, whether they want to stay where they got to or go back home, right? Like there are lots of many, there, there are many questions to flash out this narrative. Um, but yeah, and so I really like when you think about this kind of modern popular reception, thinking about sort of cousinhood, right? So Lin-Manuel Miranda um, also did more recently and perhaps now more famously, uh, he's involved with Encanto, which is another story about, you know,
0: Your parents being wrong. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) right, (laughs) (laughs) Right, And like your parents being wrong and like finding your destiny. Right. But Mm -hmm. the kind of the backstory of Encanto is, is like quite perfectly a miniature Aeneid, right? Like they, Mm -hmm. they run away from a city that's being like destroyed. And then they, they are kind of led away by, by Abuela to, to this right new and, and magical place. So, I think it's definitely a story that Lin-Manuel Miranda is interested in, right? Mm-hmm. And whether consciously or not, right? And and he keeps playing with it. So, yeah, I mean, it's, um, I don't know. Yes, the answer is well, yes. <laughs> I'm also
2: now thinking about Hamilton, which mm-hmm. is about somebody leaving, like making a journey to America to like, Create their own like systems and create their own world, and then have a duel.
1: Then have a duel. Mm -hmm. Where in spirit, in boys and
0: girls, you should all go do. (laughs)
1: Um, So you know.
3: I think we just yeah. psychoanalyzed Lynn manuel Miranda a little I mean, bit there.
0: There, well, There's a lot of material out there that's, you know, uh, you know not to read too heavy into like an auteur theory, but like, there, you know, it is art is a personal and you know creative endeavor. And so there's a lot of material out there to work with. So sometimes you can't, can't not but help, you know, uh, make those threads.
1: And it is open to him to come on the podcast and be like, you people are mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah, And I demand my vengeance. He does so, make
0: guest appearances. So it's not outside the realms of possibility.
1: So, you know.
2: But I, I agree that, like, the the story of displacement is such a human story that I think we find in so many places and is still, like, happening today, right? So I think it's not surprising that a displacement story – um, would really find a lot of audiences and be really meaningful for people, but also would like really connect to people who are making art and being creative.
1: Um, so I really agree with that. I think that's an interesting way
3: to look at that.
1: Well, and that <laughs> is also the difference between the Aeneas story and the Odysseus story, right? Yes. It, uh, Odysseus is not displaced. I mean, he, yeah, he but yes, yeah, his home's right. there.
0: It's just just out of reach.
1: It's well, and then. You, comes yes. back, takes off all of his clothes and <laughs> kills all the suitors. <laughs> and <right>? Kills everyone. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he's not he is not in the end actually. I mean Odysseus is self-displacing, right? Which which is like his yes. right um great tragedy. But he is not, in fact, uh displaced human. Whereas Aeneas is, um, and you know, goes about being undisplaced in a variety of ways, none of which very flattering.
0: <laughs> and this is leading me to kind of like another thread, thinking even just in the, the sort of corpus of Lin-Manuel Miranda of another sort of theme that really I think kind of dovetails with the, the being displaced and finding a new home and you know creating a new, a new home for yourself is also like kind of concurrent and like we mentioned in Canto and Moana too, but also trying like proving oneself or sort of proving something or some kind of like self-actualization like where was it Mirabelle is that uh, the character in to She has to, you know, figuring out what her power is, or for Moana is sort of learning how to to navigate and how to sail. Um, Hamilton, you know, being a, you know, sort of making a spot for himself in this, you know, boys club that is the founding fathers. Uh, and, and that probably, I think also probably there's a lot of resonance you can find with, with Lin-Manuel Miranda. And this I think is also just thinking at like a meta level is also somewhat true with, both Aeneas like in the text, but also like Aeneas as a heroic figure who's kind of in the sort of, you know, body of Greco-Roman myths or whatever Aeneas and, and the Aeneid is a sort of late comer to the game and has to sort of fit in among all these other heroes who have sort of been out there in the world and Virgil too as a poet, you know, but, you know, so Aeneas is out there. He's got to share the world with the, the Herculeses and the Odysseuses and the Achilles of the world. And that's another anxiety of the, uh, the Aeneid is because also one of the questions that that we love to ask our students is like how heroic is Aeneas?
1: So Aeneas is basically, and here we are about to embark on another voyage of of perception. Um, um, Aeneas is basically his only claim to fame, right? Is that he is like literally the boy who lived, right? Like that's what mm-hmm. the Iliad tells us about this, right? This loser right here is the only one who's not gonna like. He's, he's the only one who's going to survive this war, right? And so when Virgil goes back, he's like, well, I only have this guy to work with. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and the myth of Aeneas, right, like circulates in Italy a lot before Virgil. So it's not like he's not working ex nihilo. But Aeneas himself, okay, yes, he's a hero, just like all the other Iliadic heroes. He fights some people and kills some people. But like, Diomedes steals his horses. And like, he, like, it's just he's a bit of a cringy hero right? Mm-hmm. Until he actually goes through the the Aeneid. And so whenever I do this exercise with my students, we always land on Harry Potter, because how can you not, right? And then I say, you know, guys, Harry Potter is just Oedipus Rex. And they look at me blankly. And then I realize that they don't know what the oedipus rex is so i then explained that right oedipus has a plague trying to get rid of the plague someone tells him the source of the plague is is within the city and he starts investigating until he discovers that it's him he's the problem because of the whole sleeping with your mother situation mm-hmm. so when we talk about like you know the self-actualization and finding the you know the, mm-hmm. the, the person within right then that kind of I kind of have nothing going for me except for inheritance and the accidents of survival. Mm -hmm. And now I need to make something of myself, right? Mm -hmm. That is, that is an, you know, a longstanding fascination of, especially the modern novel, but also of like, Mm -hmm. right, ancient stuff. Yeah. So,
0: And I think this, this is probably where we also sort of detect the hand of Disney uh, looming over because this is, you know, the Moana and, and the Mirabelles of, you know, fit very much into, you know, particularly in the last 30 or something years of Disney protagonist stories of, of who have v- to various degrees, like different sort of arcs of self-actualization or realization. I'm thinking like Aladdin in particularly being kind of a, a good example of that, less so than say like Snow White or ariel or or, or bell although again those are a little um and then the sort of more recent ones like in frozen and in uh and in Frog.
1: yeah
0: well. it's much mm-hmm. more all of which i mean many of these were also mentioning these are all musker clement's creations right as the sort of creative writing team who yeah who who, who pitched these sort of stories and also did hercules and among other things. Uh, I lost sort of the thread of where I was going with that idea.
1: There, There is no thread. The thread is mm-hmm. what you mean there was, there was my thought of,
3: I, I'm i going to get the Shakespeare line wrong, but um, I think it's from Twelfth Night. That's like some are born great, um, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. And what you do with that, basically. Yeah. There's some chosen one archetypes
1: in
2: there, but I think also just like the the accident of survival is is a, Part of a chosen one theme in itself.
0: Aeneas is kind of your chosen one par excellence, right? Because like yeah. very early in the Aeneid, Jupiter kind of sits down with Venus and he's like, "Okay, it's going to be okay," because like we've fate has appointed this guy to find to found you know this empire that's yeah. going to be Rome. And then the Roman reading is like, "Oh, that's us." Um, but yeah, and or, but but really, that's like sort of almost the maybe the totality of of Aeneas's sort of claim to fame that we were talking
1: yeah. about. Yeah. Well, and so cycling back to moana right the maui character arc um is very much about like but am i you know am i worthy right mm-hmm. am i like did they just save me right did the gods just save me because they saved me or did they save me because i was worthy of being saved right and so he is a sort of a foil right for for moana who who he so Maui never tires of telling Moana that she's basically just really full of herself, right? Because the ocean picked her and she believed it. Um, and so they, they are this like, right, this tension between someone who is very secure and someone who is very insecure. And then the gender dynamics obviously are flipped because he is a big guy who is very insecure and she is a small girl who is not insecure. Um, Although she has her insecure moments too, right? But on the whole, she's like, she has a sense of purpose and mission.
0: Her, her line is, you know, I am Moana, right? That's her yeah, big yeah. kind of line yeah. is, that, you know, that great, you know, sort of declaration of, of self. Yeah. Um, yeah, Maui, we haven't really talked a lot about I know, Maui I was yet.
2: trying to think about a parallel for the Maui character in the Aeneid, and I'm not sure I really settled
1: on one that I liked. What, are, what were your candidates?
2: Well, because I feel like he's like both hinders and helps. So, like, I think at a certain point, he's just sort of like the other half of Aeneas. Like both of them are kind of this Aeneas character. Um, But I was trying to think of some sort of like godlike character that kind of helps or pushes. Mm -hmm. And it just, but like none of them really felt... Uh because the ocean is also there. And I feel like the ocean is also kind of a a helping hand, but also is like very happy to just step back and like mm-hmm. let Aeneas do whatever he wants, or let Moana do whatever she wants. So I was I was kind of stuck. I was going in circles.
0: I was saying uh, but the only the thing I keep coming back to with Maui is, is sort of is actually really I'm thinking less about Virgil or 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 Greek myth or anything like that and more of just like Maui kind of seems like they really, I think nailed with Maui what they sort of tried and didn't quite successfully do. They being Clements and Musker tried and didn't quite successfully do with the 1997 Hercules. I think where like, as much as I like that movie, I think it has some problems with the like Hercules arc and like, what is he like his sort of arc of proving worthiness where Maui, I think has a much more just sort of straightforward and streamlined and, and effective version of like, yeah, the insecurity about, you know why was I saved, and how do I prove my worth? You know myself worthy of the powers and this divine status, and and, and all this stuff. And is it is it through deeds? You know, pulling up islands, pulling down the sun, planting, making coconuts, all of that stuff. And it's it's never you know. Uh, it's, and then the missing element to sort of tie it all back around is the like the people element of like you know Maui is there to help people. Um, and, and so in that sense, so in that to me, he's kind of like. You know, a character that's not really in the Aeneid, but is kind of maybe looming over everything, which is sort of like Hercules, who's this, like you know your your prototypical like culture hero, the guy who goes and like makes the world so that we can live in it. But we're getting for I'm getting far afield.
3: Well, could he in some aspects be the son of Aeneas then, like Eula's something to Eula. prove, but Ooh. is background to it? I Eolus mean, sucks.
1: I really. <laughs>
0: We were just, in my Latin class today, we were just reading the, like, Welock's version of the 38 Latin stories, the version of Nisus and Euryalus, just today. So the Aeneid is, like, on the brain. I was literally just, we were just, (laughs) I was just talking about the Aeneid. Um, And Euless shows up in in that story, and I was like, I don't really have much to say about him other than that he is the, uh, the son of a
3: niece he's There.
0: He has yeah. a good. Was it Ursula de Gwyn's Lavinia Eulis? She's always yeah. like she kind of comes as like I didn't really like Eulis. Yeah,
3: like, we never really got along. That is my background on his character is is Lavinia because yeah. I've read that and haven't read the Indian fully. So
1: I mean, Eulis is just like I don't know. He's just he's a self entitled
0: he is when the person when you cast a minor character in the movie, who's like the nephew of the producer or something like that. Cause he kind of exists to my mind just to like make the connection between Augustus and Julius Caesar and Aeneas and everyone else. Like he seems to be like, he's there as like a, like a shout out to, to appease the audience or something like that but um.
1: i mean in some ways he's he's the reason this whole thing right like, mm-hmm. like the whole aeneid is is but think of the children right <laughs> is constantly like, but this is fine this is west of troy there's this nice girl that i can check up with everyone has jobs everything is great can i just like can we just stop now and someone his dad the god like someone is just like but won't you think of the children this is not where Eulus <laughs> is supposed to grow. And so he keeps going until he gets to Italy. And the first thing that Eulus does is start a big war because he can't keep his friends from, like, not shooting. Mm, like, he's yeah. been specifically told not to shoot, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and then, like, Aeneas leaves him behind and he's just like let me do completely the opposite of what like he's just he tries but he's just not he's, he's like not, hey
0: hey the chicken
1: um, yes. <laughs> oh yes he is I did think about when I, I re I rewatched Wana I was mm-hmm. like there there must be more to him than meets the eye but mm, yeah well, he's just trying desperately to eat that rock yeah he
2: wants to eat that rock <laughs> The chicken
3: lives.
0: Yeah. A- a- apropos of nothing, I just enjoy how they set up in the movie. Like that, you thought, and like all the advertising in the first ten minutes of the movie, you thought it was going to be that cute little pig. that's going to yeah. be the animal companion. It's like, no, it's the chicken who might be like.
1: It, is. it has like had
0: a frontal lobotomy. Um. Yeah, yeah. I I
1: love Hey Hey so much. Hey Hey, best. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's you know, poor Hey Hey. I just I don't I don't know. You know, there is that great scene where like Moana gets offered some pork, and she, she's like, mm-hmm. that's great pork." And then she sees Pua, and and it's like, "I'm <laughs> <I> gonna go." <laughs> um,
0: I mean, there kind of is also a the think of the children aspect because the whole everything on the on the village. You know, there's a lot of Moana's like teaching the small children. Does she have a younger brother? I'm trying to remember. Or is there like an I don't think so. Okay. I mean, just-
3: In original designs, she was supposed to have siblings that were good at sailing and she wasn't. But I yeah. think they cut siblings yeah. out of her storyline.
0: A little backstory: So, like the, the first person to take a pass at the script, so Musker and Clements like pitched Basically, as many of these Disney animated films are started, uh, Musker or Clements, one of them, like reads a thing or gets into a thing, and, and this one happened to be Polynesian myth. And then they they pitch a movie idea, and then Disney sends them to the the place for like three weeks. So they take like a three week trip in like Fiji and Samoa, and they did this exactly with like Mulan and and um, Lion King and and, and Hercules. Like they take like a trip to like. Do say they've done their due diligence. So then the story goes through different passes, and the first person to take a pass on the story was Taika Waititi, and he sort of made a joke that basically like the only part about his script that exists was like we start with the ocean, um, <laughs> and in, I think in his version there were yeah she had a couple of brothers and it was a it was more about like proving your you know worth as a young, as a young woman um, in this like male dominated sort of sphere. Yeah. And then different writer uh, like it, it went through, I think, something like six or seven different writers. And then, you know, the script changes and evolves. And then each one adds a different element, like whether like the father, I think at one point the father want, was the one who wants Moana to go on the journey. And then that changes to the grandmother figuring out what one past was all about figuring out like how Maui would sort of relate. And so the final story credit... um goes to, or a screenplay credit goes to Jared Bush, but there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven writers or seven sort of story by credits that sort of happens. So, I mean, again, much like a, I mean, a sort of a condensed version of like an oral tradition of something we'd get in like the Iliad of the Odyssey where it's many passes have been had at this material.
3: Well, that brings me to one other question and connection I wanted us to consider is that Virgil is trying to emulate Homer and Homer is... Uh, This tradition of oral storytelling that was performative and music-like, and the one thing that made me really sad about Disney for a long time is like we removed the banging hits Mm -hmm. of music from from movies, and then you bring Lin Manuel Miranda back to put those. Let's not talk about Bruno, but damn, like that Mm -hmm. was so good. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's what I'm curious about. Is like, what do we think about the inclusion of music? in these films, in this Moana story, to help tell the story, and the fact that Virgil wasn't necessarily doing that with his version of this epic.
1: Like, inserting big musical pieces? I have no (laughs) idea what I just asked. I mean, the Aeneid would certainly have benefited from some big musical set pieces.
0: I wonder, has there been an Aeneas musical? I could almost see it happening. like
1: has no, Aeneas has been um, very underappreciated as a cinematic character, and I, I don't really know why. But I always start my Roman history class with the shot from Troy where Orlando Bloom gives Aeneas the, the sword of Troy.
0: Yeah, a thing um, that we all know and love—the Sword of Troy. Right,
1: um, and
0: we've complained yeah, elsewhere like, on this podcast about the right. Sword of Troy. Yeah,
1: and, and he's like, you know, as long as the sword, whatever, it doesn't melt it down, then our our, pe- our people, right, live, blah blah blah. And I always try it to my students because it's this great moment where, right, the Romans are kind of mythologically inserting themselves onto the. The Mediterranean scenes but it's also one of the few cinematic in fact the only one that I know of appearances of Aeneas who yeah. is like would make a fabulous like cinematic character he's like bumbling and he's well-meaning and he has like the dido story right and the mm-hmm. the, the Creusa, like oops I lost my wife but I'm okay with it because I imagined her telling me that it's okay. Like, <laughs> right. There's just so much you could do with the Aeneas story, like on film, and I, I do not understand mm-hmm. why no one has done it, and and that that saddens me. But I hope that when they do, there are banging tunes.
3: Yeah.
0: Oops, I lost my wife. Well, <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine just a little context? So yeah, his wife, like in the in the conflagration that is Troy at the end, just for audience members who, you know, everyone gets kind of separated. And then the way Aeneas sort of, and also the, the framing is that Aeneas is now telling this story to a woman he's seduced, in the process of seducing. And he tells this version where... It's like, oh, I, we lost my wife. And then her ghost showed up and said, all right, it's cool. Go on, you know, go find, do your thing. Which, like, if somebody said that to me and it's like, uh, like, oh, yeah, I left my wife behind. But, like, I don't worry. Her ghost said it was okay. So I can go ahead with a clear conscience.
1: Red flag. <laughs> really. but this is, like, this is itself a classic, like, rom-com cinematic trope. Like, how many times have we seen the, like the widower who is mm-hmm. like so torn up about his wife's death. But like
0: mm-hmm.
1: with her dying breath, she said, go and like, you <laughs> know, find yourself.
0: I hear Julia Roberts is single. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: right. Um, and like that, it's just all over the place.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you kind of, you kind of get that. But so the woman that Aeneas is trying to seduce is called Dido, Queen of, of Carthage. And Aeneas is really trying to put the moves on her, but it doesn't really work. And so the gods have to intervene and they shoot her with like an arrow of desire and then she kind of loses her mind over him. And you can kind of see why they needed to give her the extra push because he's not a great, like, mm-hmm. speaker, is Aeneas. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he is, um, I mean, I don't know. I, I I love Aeneas, but competent he is not. <laughs> At least not with the ladies.
3: I was just going to say, is like I was remembering back to the book Lavinia and it seems like, the premise of that book is the Lavinia goes to him because it's prophesied, and not necessarily because she's attracted to him.
0: And it's also it's either him or Turnus.
1: Oh no! In the end, she totally like the the epilogue of Lavinia. She's all like, "He was he was so hot, and we mm-hmm. had to wait three years together. <laughs> um, and he was so big and manly, unlike Turnus, who was like, you know, so which you know he might have been. I'm not I'm not like dissing him. I'm just saying that. You know.
0: <laughs> To the point that I think there might be a market for this, you know, kind of hero who is a bit bumbling or ineffectual or insecure or, or doubtful or, or something like that. Like literally yesterday in my mythology class, we were talking about we were talking about Perseus and Bellerophon and, and adaptation and myths and hero's journey and, and these people as heroes. And one of my students said something to the effect of like, I want more flaws. Like I want characters with flaws now, right? Where Perseus and Bellerophon and those types of guys are a little simplistic right i i tend to compare them often to like link and zelda who's just like gets the sword goes and and, and defeats ganon and it just like sort of does it see like is given task accomplishes task curtains and but like then now like we we expect a little bit more i think from storytelling and are maybe a little bit more drawn to the i don't know just uh the the jamie lannisters of the world who are a bit more fraught as characters I don't know why I jumped immediately to that example. I just I think that's a good example of a, a, a sort of a yeah, bad an person interesting
1: choice. Colin,
0: well, it, my logic is that he comes comes to the forefront of my mind as like a bad person, but in a good character.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so my other big Aeneas comparison is is Dinaris Targaryen, right? Is someone who comes from a foreign land in pursuit of a home that she knows is hers because technically right her family is from there but she's never been there she doesn't know anything about it she doesn't especially want to go right and she has to come in the head of of a massive fleet and cause massive amounts of, of damage to kind of achieve right this return plus she has to bring the dragons who are both actual dragons, but also kind of symbolically, they're like the Panatus, right? They're the the ancient symbols of her of her of her family, um, and they're like her fake children, right? So mm-hmm. she has like the whole Eulus Pannatus, um situation. She um, has fatherly figures who keep telling her to do completely the wrong thing. And then I don't know. Are we still in a no spoiler phase with Game of Thrones? But, like, no, I think
0: I think we're no, I think yeah. we're well past that. Yeah, I'm not right. caught up with House of Dragon, but that's 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 yeah. another issue. That's <laughs> fine.
1: Another issue. That's <laughs> fine. Not, it's not, not been good. There. Yeah. So she's she's um she's an interesting Aeneas figure, but part of the reason she is is because David Benioff is famously, right, the guy who produced Troy. Right. Mm-hmm. So and mm-hmm. a lot of the scenes well, not a lot. Some of these scenes from Game of Thrones replicate or warp written for Troy. So that's why we have the Shireen Iphigenia burning at the stake situation. Um, yep. So, right, that, that kind of cinematic cousinhood thing is, is kind of operational, right? David Benioff is someone who thinks about the classical Myth and and does kind of build them into his cinematic production, but I think the Daenerys comparison stands even without without Benio. But that brings me to the other thing that I I have been wondering about, which is, do we care that all of these Aeneases are girls? Because I feel we have not touched on this this gender. Yeah,
3: I've been thinking gender swaps in the back of my head this whole time, and. Also how Disney treats – because not often a lot of their movies are necessarily male protagonists. A lot of the times females are supposedly, you know, the protagonists. And like what was – you know, what's interesting about Mirabelle is that she doesn't have a superpower. But it's her, her nature of caretaking that is what saves the family – and Moana is interesting because she has, like, a relationship with the ocean. But it's also really – it's not as if she controls the ocean to do what she wants. She has a relationship with it, which is interesting.
0: This isn't really particular to Moana, but I think that's the, someone – I think it was actually the Joel Christensen Sarah Bond article about the hero's journey. But but one of the things of, – of very often, like, when you have – women as heroes journey protagonists, very often it tends to kind of flatten or or it treats them as sort of essentially masculine. Like like they, they aren't really mm-hmm. operating sort of particularly in the capacity as women in, in those stories very often. I think like we can't ignore like the gender dynamic particularly with either Moana. Like it would be a very, it would be a fundamentally different movie. I think if it was Maui and say Moana were either the, the like if you swapped that relationship or if it was, Two guys on the boat, or something like that.
1: Well, so one of the things that got lost in the Moana—I don't even know if it was in the early script—but in Polynesian mythology, Maui has a, a female goddess counterpart who is kind of crucial to all of his adventures, and obviously Moana cut that out completely. And Moana is a problematic movie for its depictions of kind of Polynesian culture, and and it's, Maui in particular is a is a sore point. But you know. The, So Moana was, right, she's supposed to be the female foil for for Mao, which is why they cut the kind of original. But she is treated very masculinely, right? Even though they make this whole point about Maui calls for a princess and she's like, I I am quite the chief's daughter. But she is kind of not very much about her character is girly. Well, not girly, but, you know, like,
0: Specific to being a
1: Yeah, yeah. exactly. She's also not, like, a very deep character, right? She kind of starts and ends the same way. And the one time she tries to change, right, when she tries to, like, be a good girl and kind of hunker down on the island, she she fails completely. Um, So, right, I don't know that it necessarily kind of benefits feminism right to have Moana be a girl and the same is true for Mirabelle right she's mm-hmm. a woman of color who has to do all the care work
0: mm-hmm. like
1: her <laughs> grandmother and her sisters while the guys shape shift like I mean yeah, right. and yeah. play with animals so I mean I don't know that that we've fully explored right like like yeah. it's it's one good on for food,
3: first. one's yeah. a good
1: listener,
3: and then one is hysterical and creates horrible experiences for everyone as a result. Oh gosh. yeah, yeah. I think
2: for Moana, I think the difference for me is at the ending when she meets Tekka it's it's sort of like, and I mean maybe this is not I don't know, maybe this is sort of falling in line with what we would expect from a female protagonist but she like doesn't try to kill the enemy like you know that's the thing that they try at the beginning and it like fails miserably um but then she like tries to understand her enemy toward mm-hmm. the end and like i on the surface i'm like well that's a wonderful notion of trying to like be empathetic and compassionate and like that wins in the end but is like that is that what we are expecting from all of our female protagonists is to be, uh, I guess, good listeners, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and nothing else. <laughs> so there's
0: that sort of reminds me. So Patty Jenkins, who directed, wrote, directed, I think wrote, directed the Wonder Woman movies, had an interview where talking about like so in the first Wonder Woman, the sort of third act is just kind of a very like pro forma beat 'em up, you know, smackdown between Wonder Woman and, and Ares. And Patty Jenkins sort of, sort of, I, I don't, she says, like, she, I don't like that kind of, like, that the, the solution is not to sort of, like, kill the enemy. And she says something to the effect of, like, I wanted Wonder Woman to, like, win with a conversation rather than, like, a sword fight or something like that. And then we did get that in Wonder Woman, too, but that's a whole other wishing stone that i don't necessarily want to go down right now um but that idea of like she will like patty jenkins waterborne to win via like an appeal to compassion or empathy or something like that which like maybe does have yeah has a sort of a dimension of gender the other thing i was thinking about is the way Teka like is almost a realization of like that kind of like eco-feminist like goddess feminism or something women in the like gaia figures or something like that but
2: or a Juno figure as, like, a misunderstood and, like, wronged woman.
1: Yeah. Although, you know, I don't know. I still have an issue with this all-powerful goddess had something stolen. And instead of just taking it back, being all-powerful, she gets really angry and unreasonable and destroys the whole world because women can't control their feelings. Yeah, <laughs> Like, yeah. I mean... So, but then you know the, the the kind of logical next question is you know if girls can't win when they're like boys and they can't cut win when they're like girls then what are they supposed mm-hmm. to do right, right. Um, yeah. which which is kind of the you know the infamous glass ceiling but it is a, a sort of right it is an interesting question to to say okay well these these heroic voyages templates are are built for men and they're imagined for men and so when we put women in them. Are we like, is is the reason that it doesn't work because the whole thing was constructed for men from the beginning? And so it's just kind of, right, the, the master's house and the master's tools. Like, do we need to conceive of like a whole different type of adventure about figures around women?
3: Well, and I was thinking, because around like what came around these same other films that were highly successful in comparison was Raya and the Last Dragon, where you did have a female protagonist who is a martial arts specialist and is fighting to some extent Mm -hmm. to achieve her hero goals. And it just falls flat. Like we actually allow this opportunity for violence to be an aspect of a solution Mm -hmm. um, that have always been granted to male heroic characters. But when we give it to a female character, we either like we'll make them the protagonist but they can't be violent or when they are violent, it just doesn't resonate with us as a result.
1: Yeah. The only one that kind, I think kind of works is Anna, right? In yeah. in Frozen. And they clearly don't know what to do with that, because they mm-hmm. have to literally freeze her at the end, right? And then, you know, she gets to be queen at the end of Frozen too, But it's still very much a like, I, I mean, I don't know, it, it kind of feels you, li- leaves you feeling dissatisfied. But Anna is great, right? Like, she's feisty. She does things in, in her own way. She's not like, She's not violent, but she can, like, you know, use violence when she needs to. But then, yeah, they they don't quite go with it all the way. Mm-hmm. And it's actually interesting because so my five-year-old started out, like, all, you know, girls in the world, like, just thinking that Elsa was, like, the best thing ever because of the, like... The blonde hair and, and she would like run around the house shouting you'll never see me cry and my <laughs> husband would be like I'm, I'm going to see you cry in like two minutes <laughs> um, and then she had an Anna phase where she kind of which we encouraged because we were like you know Anna actually goes out and does stuff and she's kind and she's like you know not self obsessed blah 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 so we encouraged that and you know she was into Anna for a bit and then she was just like then she hated Anna for the longest time and now she's kind of like inching her way back. But it's this really like interesting to kind of track her emotional growth, right? With, with Anna as an index of, you know, something.
0: So, this is a, a question that maybe we actually should have started with. So, obviously, you have a, a five year old and a three year old now. And I imagine there's a lot of Moana and Moana's colleagues sort of in your house. So, like, what is the sort of your relationship to Moana and this in? the Heimson-Lushkov household.
1: No, it's horrible because now she's just watching My Little Pony and not even like, like we've been through the whole like My Little Pony universe, but now is like, there's this awful version where they all like go through a portal and become like teenagers in mm-hmm. Canterlot High School. And so it's like the worst of all worlds. And it's just... I can't. It's, <laughs> it's appalling. And it has, it has songs and, and they are... Both really bad and are real earworms, and it's like it's awful. Like it, it, the socialization to become like mean, horrible teenagers starts very young, and <laughs> I I long for the days of of Moana and like.
0: It's so it's not still in demand, or it's not. No, really-
1: now we just have My Little Tra- My Little Pony, Thomas the Tank Engine, because of Theo, three year old. And weirdly, like a lot of nature stuff, like wildcrafts and octanoids. Okay. Yeah, that
3: was me. I had one other thought in this aspect of swapping women into these traditional heroic roles, and why maybe it falls flat or we don't like it is like because I I still feel this way about male Greek heroes. Um, it's like you're so bland, you're so boring, but. Is that because now we've gotten to see more diverse representation of what is heroic? And we like this model has existed and you don't question it because it maintains the status quo. And then we get really uncomfortable when the status quo is mixed up a little bit, but it's still doing the same thing. So like a woman in power exercising violence against other people, we're like, oh, that looks really bad because that's not normal. Well, isn't it still just as bad in the normal representation of it? And maybe that's why we don't
1: like it. I mean, I think there is some truth to that, right? We've kind of evolved beyond what makes you awesome is your ability to kill a lot of people. But I think part of the kind of, I don't really know how to f- phrase it elegantly, but there is a sense that to the extent that the violence is, is metaphorical, right? It It kind of stands for the freedom that men have to, well, A, like get out of the house and do whatever they want for fun and have friends and like go on adventures and, you know, get boozy on a beach with your mates uh, while your, you know, your women are at home. But it's also kind of stands in for their freedom from care work and from emotional control, right? So Achilles can go berserk and kill thousands of people, and then sulk by the ships and then like, you know, stop. And, and there are never any consequences, right? Like he he always gets to feel his feelings and and somebody writes this massive poem about it and we celebrate him for 2,000 years. Whereas Dido, for instance, right never gets to like any any woman in in epic never gets to, to feel her feelings unless those feelings are, I mean, what do women ever feel in 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 any ancient literature? right? Sadness because their kids have been thrown off a high building desire because Odysseus swarmed into their house like semi-naked <laughs> and you know that's pretty much it right like whereas I mean in that sense at least Aeneas is slightly more sophisticated because he he does he's he's a reluctant hero he like he has moments where he's a total douchebag he has moments where he's trying you, you can kind of see him trying to do the right thing and you can kind of see him sort of trying to explore what it means if he got to have his way and he's a very like bottled up kind of, kind of hero, but, you know, fundamentally at the end, he still gets to let it all hang out and like feel all the feels and do whatever he wants. Exactly. Whereas women just (laughs) never get to do that. And even like, like wonder woman, you never get the sense that she's right. Women can't be emotional. Right. So she, she has to be a bit more like, calculated or rational about it and then she's then she's a bitch but if she's mm-hmm. not then she's like hysterical right you can't there, there's it's a catch 22 kind of situation or something. yeah which you know pretty much every woman you'll ever speak to will be like this is not news <laughs> right? yeah. um, so
0: Leo you were being a little saboteur he's like just behind my computer like chomping on all the wires <laughs> um... <laughs>
1: I am a cat um, yeah. So I, don't, I don't know if that actually was an answer to your question, Christy. I think I kind of like wandered off topic. topic no, not where. like, I,
3: th- I think that's what's fun is especially considering gender swaps is like, you know, how much of our ideas of certain characteristics are tied to gender. And then when we challenge that with gender swaps, how do we end up feeling about it as a result? Mm-hmm. And I think that's just something kind of cool to consider in media in general when we are attempting this. Mm-hmm. Gives us a chance to reevaluate. Why do we heroes think we think of these in certain ways? Because there's certain behaviors that we actually don't like, but we don't challenge it until we mm-hmm. change it up. Yeah.
0: So we're hitting. We're, we're just over the hour mark. I want to make sure, check, and make sure everyone. No one's. You got to run out the door. Or anything? Because I. Had, and if, and if no one has any other questions, I had one sort of final uh, frivolous thought that I thought we might end on.
1: Sounds good. Well, I just feel obligated to see if we have any thoughts on the whole like colonial imperialism neo-colonial um (laughs) like like there is there is the fundamental ethical question of what is our responsibility as people who fundamentally study a very white past when it comes to products of culture like Moana or Encanto or whatever that celebrate a fundamentally non-white experience are we like diminishing it are we celebrating it are we just treating it like everything else in some ways it's just a mirror of the whole man woman right gender situation but with slightly different nuances
2: i don't have like an answer that i feel comfortable with because i think it all makes me feel really icky right and i love thinking about reception and i think it's really fun and i think i i don't want to feel icky and so I like <laughs> I, I feel like I, I pull back from thoughts like that which is probably the the opposite of what I should do I should really confront
1: those icky feelings um, well I mean there's the right the 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 truth that so I was reading about Moana today and and like I said I love Pacific uh, Polynesian people are are unhappy with the way Moana depicts the people and and the culture. And one of them said, because Disney, right, like they set up the Oceanic Trust and they were supposed to like have consulted heavily. But Mm -hmm. some people say having brown advisors doesn't make it a brown story. It's still a white story. Mm -hmm. So there is a sense in which like Moana is a white story and as such, we can do whatever we want to. it But I mean, I don't know. That feels like a
3: crowd. I think that like we have this issue in archaeology too, where, you know, you're producing a final product. At what point do you consult and what does consulting look like? At what point when you've already established like, who's going to be digging, what the research questions are going to be, and you're coming to people now, of like, this is everything we found. Do you agree with our conclusions? It's like, yeah, that's consulting, yeah. but it's like, it's so far removed from the entire process that at the end of the day, this is a result of what the archaeologists think and not a collaborative process truly, and truly representative of the people who you are telling the history of. Um, So I think, you know, that's just it. It's like we gain a level of legitimacy because you have Dwayne The Rock Johnson voicing Maui. You have this young Polynesian woman voicing Moana. And it's like, yes, it's truly diverse. But it's like, yeah, but voice recording is literally one of the last things you do. Where in the process do we, you know, make this a true story that's representative of the culture we're trying to represent and disney is notoriously bad about like wanting true representation they want to tell the story that they believe is going to be most marketable and then get the you know this was the same with the calliope the performative feminism that happens this this is performative diversity in a lot of ways um and
0: netflix of sandman we're
3: talking about sorry sorry yep (laughs) um but at the same time you know, we go back to that whole Lynn manuel Miranda of like this story of displacement. Like people f- for all of human history have had to move, had had to navigate identity tied to place and new peoples and things like that. So how much of a story is just the human story? And, you know, at what point do we try to emphasize the shared humanity between all of us? And at what point do you acknowledge the histories that exist from the othering of people And I I think that's really hard to balance.
0: I'm in pretty much agreement with Christy where I'm sort of like that torn between like on the one hand, like, you know, I think representation is is really important. It's really just helpful for people to see a diversity of people on screen. But did I send that the whole, like maybe like from the root, it's kind of not an authentic, you know, as much as it purports to be some sort of authentic representation, it isn't really. But then so on the, reception sort of angle again i'm sort of like yeah is this just an endeavor where like we bring everything into the umbrella that is this sort of imagined western culture and is and everything's just this and it fits into our little box that we made and then you know and so the counterpoint um i like you know as i hope maybe i'm sort of biased and professionally invested in this answer but that a productive meaning can maybe exist and again if meaning happens with the reader a productive meaning maybe can be found via say the Aeneid against Polynesian myth or something like that. And you know, even if there is no like immediate direct historical connection be the two that the in the sort of storytelling, like kind of what Christy was talking about, the themes we're sort of getting at, like, I at least like to hope that we could maybe find something meaningful via, you know, in sort of the collaboration in a sort of comparative kind of look, even if it's, you know, and so I guess we just to be aware of like, that the comparison is is comparison and not, Absorption or something
2: yeah.
1: like that. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Well,
0: integrate, you know, de- destroying diversity via is sort of, off, you know, seeming yeah. or integrating
1: everything. So there's a guy called Simon Ferris who is a classicist. He works in New Zealand. I can't remember if it's Wellington or, or Auckland. Um, but he works in the reception of the classics in uh, Maori literature. So contemporary, like, so like what Maori authors who are writing right now doing with classical inheritances and New Zealand's an interesting case right because however problematic their present interactions they have kind of made a more conscious effort to kind of integrate right the white colonizer as part of an ecosystem rather than as a I don't know I'm probably mischaracterizing anyway so what Simon? said was that one of the problems that you see when you work on this material is that a lot of time the response is, well, so-and-so is Maori, so like their whole frame of reference is supposed to be like Maori, and clearly they've just read like whatever, the introduction to the Aeneid, and they don't really have our like, you know, lived breathing experience of, of the whole like, right, epic tradition, and so this is kind of like second-rate types of reception. And we were talking about it, and at some point we we were we said that you know when we everybody now works on Bob Dylan, right? And you know the the Dylanologist will tell you that in some cases he read the introduction to the Aeneid, not the Aeneid itself, which is totally fine. But it's a good instance of like it's fine if Dylan does it, right? But if Amari author does it, then that that's that's not right. That's a sign of ignorance. And I was like, in some on some level, right? If we in classicists believe that our Objective study is worthwhile and has something to contribute to living a meaningful life then it's the property of humanity and like whoever wants to gets to play with it wherever they come from wherever, wherever they're going and you know we kind of have to be okay with that i think part of the the answer to that tension is to just give our stuff to other people and be like do, do what you want And kind of see what see what happens um and what what classics looks like what classic looks like at the hand of people who have a their own traditions and b have been the object the objects the subjects i get confused of right colonial imperialism that has been bolstered by you know people who go first in classics from baliol so that doesn't strictly apply to moana because moana is right a disney product but it would be interesting to see how this was it, this would be done by,
0: mm-hmm. if, we, if there if there were reverse right. If it was a or even something like that, if a New Zealand or a Maori director and 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 writer new team did the Aeneid, what would that yeah. look like? Yeah,
1: yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. I Talk would love to watch that. Yeah,
0: this <laughs> might be so. I had this, like I said, a sort of. Well, this is maybe. Theirs is very loosely related, but a sort of a thought I had as I was doing a little bit of reading on Moana uh, in preparation for this was that so the the idea like. The genesis of the idea of the plot it comes from sort of historically that there were, you know, people were, were sailing these islands in the South Pacific and in and, and, and Pacific about 3,000 years ago. And then they stopped for about 1,000 years and then started again. And so the the story, at least according to the and Clemens, they say that it's set about 2,000 years ago in in the, in the Pacific islands, which would mean the thought I sort of had in preparation of the conversation, what if this story is happening 2000 years ago, that somewhere else in the world around about the same time as the, the events of Moana would be taking place, Virgil would be penning the Aeneid, he, because, which he, you know, which was written about 2000 years ago.
1: I thought you were okay. going to take this in a different direction. I thought you were going to pull an Ovid and have like Moana and Aeneid, like, oh, like cross paths.
0: <laughs> cross
1: paths. Exactly. No, okay. No,
0: the, um, the, I mean, if Moana is a historical film, which is a right. big a big jump <laughs> in and of itself, um, it would be set about about the same time as Virgil's lifetime.
3: That is a really cool thought because, like, when we think historically, like we're supposed to be making connections between, you know, but we those connections we expect to be like, well, they're in contact with each other, and you mm-hmm. you don't always think about well, what's happening. Way across the world where there is no contact, but it's happening at the same time. And that's why we get ancient aliens with pyramids because there's an insistence upon that, of course, pyramids could only exist in the new world because there was either, you know, the traditional racist assumption that Europeans made it over there somehow. And the newer one is aliens taught everyone how to do it.
0: There was just an article in BBC about the great Zimbabwe and like exactly this, of like yep. nobody believed for a long time that it could have been built by, um, by Africans, but, just, uh, well, anyways, yeah. but anyway, that was just my sort of fun little factoid that, you know, um, mm-hmm. they yeah. are you know, Moana and, and Virgil might have been um, contemporaneous.
2: I kind of love that yeah. in a weird way. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And I should, I should say, and I, I cannot believe I didn't think of it at a time that when Colin just said, wouldn't it be cool if like, you know, we had like an actual Polynesian person rewrite the Aeneid, that we do have Derek Walcott's Omeros, mm-hmm. which is a Caribbean Iliad slash Odyssey. Mm-hmm. So these things are out there mm-hmm. and, and can be obtained and, and digested by interesting people. But still the point holds that someone needs to make a movie of the Aeneid and it would be, I don't know, interesting to have it be done by a non white not your not your usual suspect. Exactly. Mm -hmm.
3: Surprised the Brits haven't pulled it off. Like I could definitely see that a British endeavor and it's just never. There was an
0: Italian Aeneid, I think, in like the sixties. I don't know if it had any yeah, but that I mean, in 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 the 60s and 50s in Italy, there was like a new either biblical or like Greco-Roman movie like every three months for like mm. a, a while. But yeah. <laughs> so it might have just got lost in the sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> um, so
1: one day, one day.
0: Should we uh, end it there? I think. I say my farewells. Do we, do um, we,
3: that or do we give our final assessment? Have we been? Oh cooking? yeah,
0: that's right. Absolutely right. Um, so yeah, how do we? What's, what's the? What's the scale? What's the metric? How do we? How do we it well, get, are you given three laurels, like I don't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, three out of five laurels. Um, <laughs> no, I would say four out of four because everything is being needed, right? We, yeah. have d- we have, we have, everything can be the Aeneid. Or the everything Aeneid can, be can be the Aeneid. So, yeah, I stamp of approval. <laughs>
0: Not Musker and Clements, but another, you know, Disney, Pixar, you know, a great chef can be anyone, right? Um, that's the idea. A great I anyone mean
2: can cook.
3: <laughs> yes,
0: right. Uh, a, a, a anyone can Aeneid. Um, yeah, anyone can Aeneid. Exactly.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, I was sold before like we even started the podcast. I'm like, Moana, Aeneid. Yep, that that sounds <laughs> legitimate. At the sounds very right. least, it
0: promises to be interesting, which is the main thing mm-hmm. we, we were looking for when we, we we sent out our feelers, looking for ideas and pitches from people. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think. There's there some other good ones that we came back. I don't want to spoil into uh, ahead of the game, but had some, we had some hot
1: takes. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Yep. Yeah.
0: All right. Yeah, so, I
1: mean, reception is just the gift that keeps on giving.
0: Truly, uh,
1: mm-hmm. the.
0: Um, Oh, wait, hang on. That's the reception police I hear coming um, to arrest (coughs) us all and throw us in and throw us in uh, critical jail. (laughs) Uh, But Yeah. I I thank you so much uh, for coming on. It's always wonderful to to have you back. Um, If people want to hear or read or see more from you, where can they do that?
1: That's a good question. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Dr. I still don't know what to call it. Floor Dash um, AHL and otherwise you can find me on the interwebs I- oh i have my own website mm-hmm. um, yell At <laughs> um and all my stuff are there and and also i'm at ut and you can come take classes with me and be corrupted by my socialist agenda
0: yeah <laughs> corrupting the youth is
1: what that's, that's our exactly. business like 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 Colin mm-hmm. and a little bit like and a little bit like yes I couldn't fully corrupt you.
0: (laughs) my corruptive influence is, is, is already being felt elsewhere um so yeah thank you and thank you so much uh, as usual you can uh listen to our uh the movies we dig on spotify and stitcher apple podcasts please like review and subscribe really really appreciate it follow us on twitter at dig movies um and we'll sort of be back with our regular programming but it, we're hoping at least once a month or so we'll come in with these sort of special episodes so uh if you'd like uh drop please drop us a line uh in that case Bye everyone.
3: Bye. Bye. Hi.